Chapter 37 Nimrud Nineveh was an important crossroads town, part of the famous Silk Road, which brought trade from the Far East through the mountains of Afghanistan onto the Iranian plateau before dropping into the northern Iraqi foothills and ending up at Ugarit, an important port on the Mediterranean Sea. Katie's group left Nineveh within Toma's preferred time frame, and they were making good progress. His ever-vigilant attention ensured that the formation remained closely packed. He was doing a great job. The chariots traveled side by side on well-constructed roads, advancing a respectable twenty-plus miles every hour. They left the carts at Nineveh, using only chariots, which allowed them maximum speed. Citri rode with Toma in the lead chariot, and Katie drove with Renee in another. If things went as planned, they would make it to Nimrud in three hours, then head across the greater Zab River, arriving in Nuzi seven hours later. Toma hustled the group along as the short winter days could be a problem. They might have to travel in twilight, but they were in a safe area of the kingdom. There was little worry of banditry or politically motivated ambush. The road from Nineveh to Nimrud followed along the eastern embankment of the meandering Tigris River floodplain. The water level was low as it was still early winter. The regular winter storms, which rolled in one after another throughout the next four months, had only just begun. The day was perfect for them, with dry roads and a sunny sky. Traveling went smoothly for the first thirty miles. The well-maintained road offered little impediment. Katie kept up small talk with Renee at first, but finally she let her worries out. Renee, I need to talk to you about Citri, she began. Why, Katie? I know Citri is very close to Queen Uni, who, I have learned, is involved in a plot against me. I think you are being played. In what way? Renee asked. Uni has made plans to steal my IUD. She believes it is the source of my power. Has Citri said anything to you? No. Well, sort of. But mostly she complains about the ideas Uni has. Citri thinks her aunt is crazy, and she's irritated at Kikoli, her father, for placing her under Uni's control. Do you really think Citri is dangerous, Katie? I think Citri is a pawn in this game. Udad told me Uni has been working for a long time to replace Ishtar in her husband's kingdom. She believes in a god called Ahura Mazda, and my sudden earthly presence will destroy her work. If she gets rid of Ishtar, she can continue with her plan. And the easiest way for Uni to get to me is through you, with Citri. I haven't heard of any plot, Katie. I think Citri is honest in her feelings for me. I would have told you if I thought differently. I hope that's so, Renée. I would hate to see you hurt. Anyway, I think we are safe for now. Thank you for staying with me, for being there for me. Are you worried I'll abandon you for Citri? No, you are allowed to have your own life, Atsila. I'm just having a hard time knowing who to trust, who to believe, and I want to have this in the open between us. Please be careful with her, Renée. Katie winced and stretched her back and neck to ease the cramping caused by her gladiator attire. As a precaution, Toma had outfitted Katie with combat armor, but they made these armored suits for men with bigger bodies and bigger heads than Katie. She felt awkward in her twelve-pound bronze helmet and her leather cloak with heavy bronze flakes attached. Altogether, she was carrying an added thirty-five pounds. Renee noticed her discomfort. How are you holding up wearing that stuff, Katie? he asked. It's fine, she answered, but it's too big and it's uncomfortable. I'll have one made to fit me, and then it'll be fine. Here, Katie, let me drive, Renee said. Then you can relax for a while. Thanks, Katie said as she handed in the reins. 
She leaned sideways onto the rail and steadied herself against the bumping and jarring of the chariot. It was a hard ride on her still-healing body. Toma placed their chariot in the second-to-last position of a double configuration. Boxed in on the front, back, and the left side by other chariots, all they really needed to do was hold the reins. As the procession pulled into Nimrod for lunch, Katie removed her helmet, ready for a break. She was hurting again, and feeling frustrated and impatient with herself. I'm not able to do anything, she thought. I've become a useless invalid. Here, let me help you, Katie. Renee understood how rough it was when he saw how difficult it was for her to move. Let's take off this heavy armor. You can leave it in the chariot. Okay, thanks. She lifted her arms as he pulled the armor off. When she looked up, she thought she was hallucinating as Rebea's image filled her vision. Hello, Inanna, Rebea said as she offered her arm to Katie. Thank you, Rebea. Katie couldn't believe how grateful she was to see her. But what are you doing here? I thought you couldn't come. When you told me I should express my feelings and not only be a voice for Mudad, it made me think, you are right. I don't have to wait for orders from my husband. I always help make the decisions. They just come from Mudad to make them official. So I decided you needed me here more than Mudad needed me in Nineveh. Rebea smiled at Katie and it made them both laugh. Okay, partner, Katie said as she took Rebea's arm and they followed the others into the temple. Lunch in Nimrud was quick, more of a rest stop than a layover. Toma intended to get this package to Nuzi today, before dark. Both King Tushrata and Toma's father, Kikuli, were expecting them. Rene wandered into the dining area behind Rabea and Katie. He decided to skip having lunch with the men outside, because eating inside gave him a chance to see Citri. Plus, Katie needed him right now. Can you show me the bathroom? Katie asked a woman servant. She felt a moistness in her woolen panties and was sure her period had begun. Rabea followed her. Although no longer wearing the outer layers of her armored coat, Katie was still wearing the protective leather apron. It was the final layer of protection to deflect the impact of any blow. The toilet was a state-of-the-art brick and bitumen creation. Lifting her heavy leather skirt, Katie pulled down her panties to sit on the small wooden seat. She looked at her undies and was surprised there was no blood. A white, vaginal discharge caused the wetness. She tried to remember how many days it was from her last period, and realized she had lost count during her convalescence. When was my last bleed, Rebea? Katie asked. I was expecting a return of my monthly flow today. The question surprised Rebea. Ishtar, do you not know? You are pregnant. You don't want bloody discharge. It is a dangerous sign. Rebea, I am not pregnant. You must be wrong. I'm expecting my monthly flow soon. Ishtar, you have a baby in you. No! You were present when I bled after I arrived, Rabea. What are you talking about? Bleeding early in one's pregnancy is normal, the servant woman insisted. She stepped closer to Katie and placed her hand on the goddess's abdomen, holding it there for a minute. I worried this trip could cause a problem, but I am relieved. You support a normal pregnancy. This dumbfounded Katie. Why didn't you tell me I was pregnant, she asked, scowling. You are Ishtar, and you are here on Earth to share your child. It is a good thing. Wait, 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 how could this be a good thing, Rabea? It is good you are bringing gods to dwell on the earth, Ishtar. This is why Mudad is so proud. It is why King Tushrata is happy you are going to Nuzi. You will smite his enemies. How? Katie asked incredulously. Ishtar is the goddess of lions and horses. You will make Tushrata's chariot strong. He will prevail over his enemies. The pieces finally came together. 
Now Katie understood why they thought she was a goddess. It wasn't just the royal blue jacket she arrived in. It was a combination of coincidental things that fulfilled the legends and beliefs surrounding the goddess Ishtar. There is no doubt in them. I am Ishtar, she realized. Dumbfounded and unable to focus, Katie wandered away and walked toward the kitchen. Citri and Renee stood close together, talking and smiling. She lost her appetite, grimacing at the cutesy puppy love that made her want to vomit. Blindly walking back toward the horses, down the temple steps, she bumped into someone. Pardon me, she spoke in English without thinking. Oh, it's you, Toma. He was just as surprised as she. Hello, he replied awkwardly. Are you ready to drive again, Ishtar? She ignored his question and walked off. She didn't want to talk to anyone right now. But Toma was a gentleman, and she was his charge, so he followed the goddess for her safety. Katie was aware he was behind her, so she stopped and smiled when she saw him hold out a piece of flatbread for her. Thank you, Toma. She accepted the offering. You look as though you're ready to go. Yes, he beamed. We can leave in five minutes if you wish. He pointed to the horses and armored men, showing her how prepared his imanti was. Yes, Toma, but not right now. I need a moment to speak with Rene. Can you find him and bring him to me? Certainly, my goddess, Toma said. He bowed to her, turned, and hurried off to find her manservant. End of chapter. Thank you for listening. You can follow the story on my blog, jeadvm.com. Once on my blog's front page, go to the menu, pick My Books, and select Katie Becomes Ishtar. That'll take you to the Ancient Katie series of books. Inconvenient Goddess can be purchased as an old-fashioned paper book, or an e-book, as well as an audiobook set or can be downloaded from the audiobook site Spotify. More details are on my website, jeadvm.com. 